So we are continuing to make our way through Paul's letter to the Ephesians and once again coming to the second chapter today, the closing verses of this second chapter. And here in these verses, Paul once again shows the glory of God's saving grace toward us in taking us from being outside the covenants of promise, having no hope and being without God in the world, to being fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Now, perhaps you remember me saying that in verse 11 and onward, Paul is speaking of believers collectively rather than individually. He's speaking of the Gentiles being brought into something that they were previously excluded from. And it's important that we understand that, of course, our salvation is personal. It's, it's individual. There is that aspect to it, and that's quite wonderful. Uh, but there's also another aspect to it where we are, we are saved uh, collectively. We are, we are part of a community. We're part of a kingdom. We're part of a family. And we, we can't lose sight of that because much of the teaching in the New Testament is, is in that context. It's in the context of being the people of God together. And that's important that we we see it that way. If we, if we only see salvation as something uh, that is just individual for me, then we lose sight of the, the connection with the larger body of Christ. If we only see salvation in the context of, of our particular congregation, then we forget that we're, we're part of something that is much, much greater something that goes back really to the beginning of time and extends out all through the ages and, and something that is international. It's, it's universal. It's, it's worldwide. And it's important that we uh, keep that perspective. And so in verses 19 through 22, Paul says, Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. So let's just walk through the things that the apostle tells us here. We are no longer strangers and foreigners. This is where all of us really used to be at one point. We were outside of the kingdom. We were outside of, of this, this relationship, but that's no longer the case. And remember, that's what he's reminding us of. So uh, we will have a greater appreciation for God's grace that will motivate us to greater devotion to him, reminding us of where we came from, reminding us of our past and how um, bleak it was, and then focusing in on the, the wonderful things that God has done. So no longer strangers and foreigners, but now we are fellow citizens with the saints. 
So we're part of the kingdom now. Now, remember the Gentiles, they were outside. They were excluded. And this is that revolutionary time when God is opening the door. And he'd always been indicating in the scriptures that he would do this at a certain point. But in the New Testament apostolic age, uh, that's when it all happened. And so, as I mentioned before, we're far removed from that historically, but we still have the experience when we come to know Christ personally, when we come to realize that we are now citizens. We have the full benefits and privileges of the people of God. There, there's, there's nothing that uh, is held back from us. There's nothing that we are excluded from. Before the time of Jesus, a Gentile could convert to Judaism. They would be known as a proselyte. And yet, even as a proselyte, they, they still did not have the, the full benefits of uh, being a, a true citizen. They had certain blessings and benefits, but th- there was still the sense that they weren't, you know, totally part of it. But that all changed with the coming of Jesus. And now uh, the thing that was very troubling for some of the Jews in the first century was the suggestion that God would give the, the Gentiles the same kind of access, the same kind of relationship with himself that they had enjoyed. But that's indeed what the New Testament teaches. So we have become citizens of the kingdom of God. And again, a citizen is somebody who has all of the benefits and privileges that are offered by the kingdom. In the first century, when the, when the, the New Testament was written, you know, most, most people in the Roman Empire were not citizens. They were slaves. Citizenship was something that was highly valued. It was something that was highly sought after. Maybe you remember the story in Acts where, where Paul was preaching there on the steps. He's preaching to the Jews and um, he says something that offends them and the Romans take him and they, they pull him into uh, the, the jail and they're, they're just about to, to beat him. They're, they're just about to give him lashes to get him to confess. And right before they, they start to beat him, Paul says, is it lawful to, for you to beat a, a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? And they suddenly stopped and said, whoa, wait a second. This guy, we better watch out what we're doing. This guy's a Roman citizen. And so they called for the captain, told him, this, this man that we've arrested, he's a Roman citizen. So the captain comes in and says, is it true that you're a Roman citizen? The captain said, I purchased my citizenship with a great price. And Paul said, I was born a citizen. So you see, the point is being a citizen in Rome was something that was very significant. And it's true, being the citizen of a great nation is a very wonderful thing. Now, I lived in a country where I had a residence, but I wasn't a citizen. And I enjoyed many uh, blessings, if you will, as a residence in the country. I had access to medical uh, care, and we could even access certain monies and things that the the government had made available, but there were certain things that I could not do uh, because those things were reserved for citizens. You know, in traveling here just this past couple of weeks, um, 
you know, when you're going into different countries, you always have, of course, you have to go in through immigration and you, you've always got the immigration officer who generally is, um, you know, sort of like the Gestapo in there. Um, you know, they're, they're just a lot of times not all that pleasant. And it seems like every time I go into the UK these days, I get the, the third degree, you know, why are you here and what are you doing and who are you visiting and where do they live and, and what's their nationality and all of this stuff, you know, and I just feel like, I, hey, look, I'm, 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 gonna, I'm coming to your country. I'm going to spend money. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be a benefit. Quit hassling me. Just let, let me. just let me through. You don't feel all that welcomed. And that was my experience at the UK border. Then I went to the Hungarian border and there, uh, they don't really even say anything to you. They just sort of frown at you. And, uh, and then they seemingly begrudgingly stamp your passport and uh, utter a few words in Hungarian that you don't understand. And then you just go through. And, and you know, I just think this isn't very, very welcoming. But then I come back to my own country where I'm a citizen. And yesterday, the immigration officer said, welcome home. Good to see you. (laughs) Did you have a nice trip? (laughs) Yes, I did. Thank you. That's very kind. There's there's benefits to citizenship. There's, There's privileges. And we now are citizens of God's kingdom, no longer strangers and foreigners. We're citizens and all of the privileges are ours. All the benefits are ours. But we're not only citizens of a kingdom, which is a wonderful thing, but we're members of God's household, which is even more amazing. So it's like not, you know, not only being a citizen of a kingdom, but being a a child of the king. That's who we are. We are the children of the king. We're part of God's household. So we, we were outside of all of this, but now we've been brought into it. And it's such a beautiful thing. It's, it's something that the person outside doesn't even really understand. They're, they're not able to, to grasp it. You know, what it's like to be a child of God. What an amazing thing. To have God as our father, to have him as our protector and our provider and the one who guides our lives. And there's just, there's something so wonderful about that. When we were excluded from that, we didn't even really know how great it was, did we? We didn't really understand it. When we would hear people talk about being a child of God, we would think that's strange. What does that mean? What are you, a child of God. But then we've come in and we've had the experience and we get it. Now we know, oh, yes, this is what they were talking about. So we're citizens of God's kingdom. We're members of his household. And then Paul says that this new household, this kingdom, has been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. So this whole new thing that God's doing, uh, which what he's talking about here really is the church, The church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Now, I'm going to skip over this here and not really touch on it because I want to come back to it next week. But what he's talking about here is he's talking about the fact that the church is built on the word of God. The church is built on the the truth in the scripture, particularly here, 
the New Testament, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. But then he says, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together. So here's an important thing to realize. Jesus is the chief cornerstone. Now, the cornerstone was, was essential in the foundation because it would be there at the corners where the, the walls of the building would be brought together. And so the picture that Paul is painting for us here is that Christ is the one who brings the different, the different parts together. He's the one that we uh, come together through. Our, our common denominator is Jesus and our relationship with him. That's the thing that, that brings each part. The analogy he's giving here is the, the temple. As he goes on, he says, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple. As Peter said, we are, we are living stones uh, being placed into the walls of the temple. But it's Christ who brings all of these pieces together so that the temple is what God intends it to be. Now, the idea of a temple, this is, um, the language Paul's using here is spiritual language but it's hearkening back to what they would have known previously in the temple that was there in Jerusalem. So the temple that was in Jerusalem from the time that it was built by Solomon, and of course it was built as a replacement for the the tabernacle that Moses and Aaron had built. But from the time that it was built by Solomon all the way through, this had been the place where God's presence dwelt, this had been the place where the sacrifices were offered. This was, it was basically the center of spiritual life and worship for the nation. That's what the temple was. Now, Paul is saying that God is erecting a new temple. And of course, that temple vanished. That temple was destroyed in 70 AD. But it, it was destroyed because it was being replaced by a new temple, but not a physical temple, but a spiritual temple. You see, the church isn't physical in the sense that it has one geographical center, like, like, like the, the temple in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the place. And remember uh, when Jesus was speaking to the woman, uh, the Samaritan woman, the Jews worshiped in Jerusalem. The Samaritans worshiped in Mount Gerizim. There was a debate. There was uh, controversy over which was the proper place to worship. Jesus said, woman, the, the day is coming and actually has now arrived when you will neither worship God in this mountain, Gerizim, nor in Jerusalem. For God is spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit. And so this new temple is a spiritual temple, but it corresponds to the old physical temple. The old physical temple, it's centered around a sacrifice. There was a priesthood. Sacrifices were offered, praise 
and thanksgiving were offered up. And this is the same kind of thing that has now been transferred to this new temple that's not in one particular location, that's not made of uh, any uh, you know, physical materials like stone or whatever the case might be, but no, it's made up of people and it's spread all throughout the world. We are part of this temple. Now, looking at what Peter said, along with what Paul is saying here, because they're, they're similar passages, Peter makes it clear that we're talking about a spiritual house. Remember, he said that we are living stones, a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices that are accepted to God. So let's, let's look at these spiritual sacrifices for a moment. And in different places in the New Testament, we have reference to this. Uh, the book of Hebrews, for example, is a book that talks a lot about the, the former temple, talks about the priesthood and the sacrifices and uh, you know, the, the holy of holies and the veil and all, all of those things. The book of Hebrews talks about it. But then the book of Hebrews also tells us that all of that has become obsolete. But then it goes on to show us that there's still a sacrifice that took place. There's still offerings and praises that are, be, that are to be um, sent up to God. And so we're told in um, Hebrews chapter 13, verses 15 and 16, that now under this new covenant with this new temple, we offer up the sacrifice of praise to God, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Now, first of all, realize this. The, the ancient temple revolved around sacrifice. The new temple revolves around one sacrifice, the sacrifice that Jesus made. He made one sacrifice forever for sins and sat down at the right hand of God. But we all come together because of that sacrifice, right? That's the thing that binds us, the death of Jesus for our sins, his resurrection. That's the thing that brings us all together. So that's why we gather. That's what we're here to remember, to celebrate. That's, that's the, the foundation of everything that we do. But from that, there are now other things that proceed. And as we're told in Hebrews, there is the sacrifice of praise to God. So God is still receiving sacrifices. There's the sacrifice of praise to God. And notice what it is. It is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. Do we realize that when we come together to sing songs and to say, thank you, Jesus, we are offering up sacrifices to God. We are offering to God things that are, are similar to what was being offered in that temple those many centuries ago. But we're the temple now. So wherever God's people are gathered, whether it be right here or whether it be somewhere else in the world, wherever all of God's people are gathering today and they're lifting their voices, they're, they're praising God, they're thanking God, they're singing songs of praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. These are all like sacrifices going up that God is receiving. 
We need to understand that because it's so easy to get just caught up in a routine. You know, we come, we sing the songs, we sing the, we sing the same songs sometimes, we know the songs, we can sing them in our sleep. We're not really thinking about them. We're not really thinking about what we do. And this is so important that we uh, engage our minds. And when we're saying, you know, like we did this morning, thank you, Jesus, it's like, yes, thank you, Jesus, for the grace that you've given us. As I'm doing that, as you're doing that, we are offering up a sacrifice to God. It's a sacrifice that is well-pleasing to him. That, to me, is it's just beautiful. It's wonderful to think of it in that context. But then verse 16 of Hebrews chapter 13 says that doing good and sharing is also a sacrifice. And it says, and with such sacrifices, God is well-pleased. So as we, as God's people, we as this holy temple, this royal priesthood, you know, mixing the two things together, because they went hand in hand, really, As we go about doing good and sharing, being a blessing to people, helping people, being compassionate and loving, and all of those kinds of things, every time we do that stuff, this is part of the sacrifice that we're offering to God. This is something that is uh, precious to him. There's also the sacrifice of prayer. The prophet Jeremiah said, or God speaking through Jeremiah said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. In the book of Revelation chapter five, we, we read there of the, this incense that goes up before the Lord and <coughs> as, a, as a pleasing aroma. And we're told there that the incense represents the prayers of the saints. So you see, when we pray, that's, there's, it's, like a, it's like an offering of incense going up before the Lord. So you see, these are the things that happen in the spiritual temple. These are the things that we are involved in. This is serious business. This isn't anything to uh, take lightly or to not realize uh, what's really happening here. We are engaging in the same kinds of things that Aaron and the priest engaged in and all through those generations leading up to the coming of Christ, the great high priest who offered himself so that he could develop with us a new royal priesthood and erect a new temple. That's what's happening. There's also the sacrifice of our bodies. Romans 12.1, offering our bodies a living sacrifice to God, holy and acceptable. So you see, these are the things as, as the temple of the Lord today, these are the things that we are engaged in. And then there in 1 Peter 2, 9, proclaiming the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. So you see, this is all of the stuff that is ideally happening amongst the people of God who are the temple of God. Now, in the ancient times, of course, the temple was a a destination. It was a place where people from all of the nations, not just the Jews, but it was people from all the nations would go up there hoping to have some kind of 
experience with God, hoping to find forgiveness, hoping to have some sort of an encounter with God. You know, the church, that's, that's what the church is to be today. The church is to be a place where people on the outside, they, they gravitate toward it. They look to it and they see that's the place to go to find God. That's the place where the sacrifice was made. That's the place where the offering up of the incense and all of that is still going on. It's a beautiful picture when you think of it. It's a wonderful uh, reality when you, get, when you get a grip on it. We are this, this temple proclaiming the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. You see, God's idea, just as the temple would be a, a, a place of rallying and gathering for all the nations, so that's what the church is. That the church would be a place where people would come. How would they come? Well, partially they come because they, they hear the proclamation, the praises of the one who's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. As we share the gospel, as we tell people the story of what Jesus did, who he is and what he came to accomplish and how he did that on the cross and how it saved us and how it transformed us. You know, it's such a beautiful thing. This gospel is so wonderful. It's so powerful. I was thinking this morning as I was driving over, I was thinking about, you know, how you never know who's going to show up at church. You never know. You never know where the person's coming from. You never know what their background is. You never know how desperate they are. You never know what their deep needs are. But God knows all of that. And I was just thinking again about the privilege of being able to give the word of God out and have, you know, as we proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness, how this touches people's lives. I got a call at five o'clock this morning from John Henry. And John, maybe you remember, uh, some of you know, John was in Ireland for about three weeks because his sister was on the verge of death. And she wasn't a believer. And he had a great burden in his heart to hopefully be able to lead her to Christ. And he was able to do that. And uh, he called me this morning at five and said she passed away um, last night. But then he went on to tell me how for the last several hours, he had been on the phone ministering to his niece and nephew and how he's just really praying for their salvation. And they, they are very involved in uh, politics in the country, and they happen to be atheists. But, but they're being impacted by uh, the death of their mother. They're being impacted by the, the presence and the influence of their uncle. And as, so this was fresh on my mind, and I was thinking because... Um, John's nephew shared with him a few weeks ago before he left Ireland. He said, you never know. I might come to your church and I might follow Jesus like you do. And I might leave politics entirely because I, what you're saying is really impacting my life. And so in my mind, I was just envisioning the day when he shows up here. <laughs> and here's the word, but he's heard it already. But my point is, this is, this is what we are. We're the temple. We're the temple of the Lord. 
And that's true of us individually, but it's true of us collectively. And it's not just true of us right here, but it's true of the the entirety of God's people. And then the last thing Paul says is that we are a dwelling place of God. See, where is God in the world? People ask the question, where is God? We should be able to say, hey, God's with those people. Or of course, it's us we're talking about. God's with us. But other people ought to be able to say, you know, I I think God's with those people. We see the evidence that, that God is with them. And thank God, many do see that. But we can't forget that. And we can't forget that this is something that we're all part of and we all come together from different walks of life, from different backgrounds, from different denominations, from different uh, cultures. But our commonality is Christ. That's what we have in common. It's our belief in Jesus. We might have differences of opinion about things. We might have different philosophies about how to approach church and ministry and so forth. But we know Christ, and he's the one that's brought us together. And you know, we need to regain the importance of being the people of God together with multitudes of others all over the world and, and get rid of the idea that you know we're the only ones if we have that or just our little group or our little church. And, and I'm not saying that we have that necessarily. We might. But it's, this kind of mentality has plagued the church throughout history. You know, the church that God intended to be um, the, this thing that would no longer manifest the divisions and things that happen in, in uh, culture, the church sadly has, has oftentimes uh, mirrored the, the culture and repeated the same kinds of sins that you find in the culture. But in regard to this whole picture, let me quote to you from John Stott. He said, it would be hard to exaggerate the grandeur of the vision The new society God has brought into being is nothing short of a new creation, a new humanity whose characteristic is no longer alienation, but reconciliation, no longer division and hostility, but unity and peace. This new society God rules and loves and lives in. That's it. It, I, I like what he said. He's right. It would be hard to exaggerate the grandeur of the vision. If we get a hold of this, how glorious it is. It's amazing. It's universal. And it's when we realize that we are no longer strangers and foreigners, but we're fellow citizens with the saints, we're members of the household of God, when we realize that that's true of every single person who believes in Jesus, that just broadens our perspective. And in the broadening of our perspective, there's there's a blessing. There's a tremendous blessing. One of the things that I've seen recently that has been so encouraging is the way the body of Christ universally has rallied around um, Saeed. We've prayed much for Saeed, but we're not the only ones that have prayed for him. We sort of feel some ownership because he's, he's part of Calvary Chapel. But, you know, it was such a blessing to see, I think it was last month that Nagme, his wife, was there speaking at the Southern Baptist Convention, and she was being loved on and prayed for and welcomed and ministered to by all of those Southern Baptists. 
And, you know, as I'm on social media, Twitter or Instagram or whatever, I'll see pictures or quotes or comments and all different kinds of Christian groups around the world. They're rallying together, praying for Saeed. What a beautiful thing. That's the way it's supposed to be. You see, because we come together around the common sacrifice of Christ. And all of those other things, well, they might... They might have some importance when it comes to the practical functioning of ministries and so forth. But at the end of the day, you know what? If somebody believes in Jesus, that's all that matters. If somebody has a true faith in Christ, regardless of their denomination or no denomination or, you know, whatever, it doesn't matter. So we are part of this wonderful thing, the temple We are the temple of the Lord. Individually, Paul says that to the Corinthians. But here he's speaking collectively. This is the case. Whatever we once were, that doesn't matter. This is who we are now. Whatever you once were, that that doesn't matter. In Christ, everything changes. We're no longer strangers and foreigners. But we are fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. And it's through Christ that the building is being uh, brought together, growing into a holy temple, a dwelling place for God in the spirit. Let's realize it and live it out so all can see and some will come. This is surely the heart of the apostle. He's wanting us to get this so that we can live it and that others can see it and be drawn to it. God help us. God help us to faithfully demonstrate to others what we have experienced ourselves, that we were once alienated We were once outside, but that's no longer the case. We're all brought in to God's family through faith in Christ. Lord, we thank you for the beautiful picture that you give us here of being the temple of the Lord. Each one of us being a living stone and Lord being built up and built together by you. And so, Lord, may we just have a better understanding of these truths. May they warm our hearts and may they move us in the right direction. Lord, how we thank you that you have given us this privilege of being a royal priesthood. Lord, that we can offer up the sacrifices of praise, the fruit of our lips, as we just give thanks to your name, as we do good and share. All of these things are blessing to you. As we pray, it's like incense. Lord, help us to realize that and help us to see the seriousness of it, Lord, but not just the seriousness of it, but the amazing privilege that we all share as members of your body. And Lord, may we endeavor to maintain the unity of the spirit. May we recognize your people all around the world. 
Lord, may we find our hearts knit to those who are truly part of us and we are part of them. May we not lose sight of that. Lord, bless your church in these days, your temple. May it truly be a place where all nations can come and worship. In Jesus' name, amen.